Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. We've been talking about catechism this week in our attempt to connect theology to your day-to-day life. In other words, we are trying to lay a foundation for practical theology. Today, we are moving towards the content of catechism. We've been talking about catechism the last several days. Catechisms take the form of question and answer. And the most famous catechism question, of course, is what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But it's this question and answer form that is so helpful for spiritual development. In fact, this is how Jesus taught. I, I just discovered this recently from this book on catechism by Packer, that in the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus asks 307 questions in contrast to the 183 questions that were asked of him. In fact, one author said that Jesus asked more questions than Socrates ever did. Now, that's a reference, of course, to Plato and his famous dialogues. He always had Socrates asking his opponent questions. How do you know that? What do you mean by that? Why would you believe that? And this kind of questioning form has been um, become known as the Socratic method. But Jesus was the, the true master of this. He was constantly asking questions of those he was encountering, either of his disciples or his opponents. Now, brothers, why do you think that this question and answer answer method is so beneficial? I think it shows understanding. So you begin to process information and, and be able to, to get to the heart of what do we actually know, what do we not know. And, and so it's in the questioning that sometimes we come to the realization of what is true, um, what is essential, um, and it's it's really oftentimes in the questions that we get beneath the surface and begin to wrestle um, with the issue at hand. And I think Jesus oftentimes in his question was trying to expose what's really in the heart, what's really behind the behavior or, or um, the the even sometimes the questions that were being asked to him that he's responding in question to kind of push back. And so I think a lot of learning happens here. So it was interesting. I hope uh, that long pause doesn't get edited out because that's actually really instructive. I asked a question, why is this so important? And all of us around the table were searching in our minds and searching in our understanding. I have to come up with an answer to this. Right. That, that's, that's why this question and answer form is so helpful because it puts the onus on the student. What do you understand about these truths? And you're trying to draw those things out of the person. Mm-hmm. 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 I thought the long pause was because we're old, yeah. but maybe that's it's, not right. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're definitely slow, um, but you know Jesus is—he is the master teacher, um, uh, and I would hasten to point out, Jesus is not primarily a teacher; he's primarily our savior. But having saved us, he's the master teacher, and uh, you, you guys have, have nailed it—that uh, that he that he draws out 
of his, of his listeners. He draws out of his students, um, and then and then directs. He he doesn't doesn't just you know rely on them for the answer. He, but he draws them out and then directs. Then then mm-hmm. takes that as an opportunity to teach. Well, here's a sampling. Listen, just listen to some of these questions. Um, Luke two forty nine. Why were you looking for me? Matthew six twenty seven. And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Luke ten twenty five. What is written in your law? John one thirty eight. What are you seeking? Luke eight twenty five. Where is your faith? And it just goes on and on and on. Jesus is 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 constantly pointing them back to where, where's your source? What's your hope? What's your end? What are you looking for? How do you know that? Mm-hmm. And that question and form. I think there's I think there's a, a couple other um, benefits of this type of teaching. One of them is that it actually puts teaching on a relational level. Um, when we go to church on Sunday morning, you know, we have a, a pastor who is who is invested in the word all week and, and he's he's declaring and preaching the word of God to us. Catechism is one extra form that helps us be instructed, but it's relational because there's a person asking the question and there's a right. person answering the question. Mm-hmm. We don't just read those read those questions to ourselves. It, like you said, it's a it's a give and take, and I think that what happens is, you know, when we've raised somebody up on these questions, you know, not only do they grow up with this understanding, but it actually helps them to grow up to be people of God. And BB Warfield uh, points this out in a in an illustration. He's uh, this is a period of time back in the Civil War, you know, the United States Army uh, was in a western city. Uh, He says, the streets were overrun daily by a dangerous crowd. One day, this officer observed a man approaching him with a a combined calmness and firmness of mind whose demeanor inspired confidence. So impressed was he with his bearing amid the surrounding uproar that when he passed, he looked back at him, only to find that the stranger had done the same thing. On observing his turning, the stranger at once walked back to him, touched his chest with his forefinger, and demanded without preface, what is the chief end of man? On receiving the countersign, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, he says, ah, I knew you were a shorter catechism boy by your looks. Why, that's what I was thinking of you. <laughs> um, and, and here are two people that, you know, it, it really does make us confident in the God that we worship and in we, whom we trust. These questions are designed to relate us to God as well. And and as you mentioned, here's a relational here's here's a relational point. The question yep. is asked. The confidence is given. Yeah, and it makes our faith communal because, mm-hmm. like, it, in our family worship time, we do catechism and we answer the question at the same time. We're confessing together mm-hmm. the truths of God. And you know what? As a listener, you might not think that's a big deal, but it's it's actually powerful. Confessing yes. the truths of God together. It's interesting that um, in prayer meeting last week we were using we're going through different prayers of the Bible to use them to help shape our prayer life and help inform us. And we dealt with the prayer of Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles twenty. And if you've ever looked at the prayer, it's actually a prayer that is structured around three questions that Jehoshaphat is going to ask. God, are you not God in heaven? And then he'll, he'll ask later on, um, did you not, our God, drive out? And then later on he's going to ask, um, will you not execute judgment on them? It, Jehoshaphat is doing catechism in his prayer. Mm. Yeah, He's seeing the threat that's around him, this horde, this army that's at his doorstep, and he's saying, 
are you not God of heaven? Yeah. But then he comes back and, and, and talks about the God that he serves. Mm-hmm. Did you not do this? He, in his mind, he's reviewing how God had acted in the past. And he reviews all that in the prayer. And then he says, will you not? Won't you act on behalf of your promise or on your behalf of your people that you've made promises to? Yeah. I mean, it's catechism in prayer. Yep. It, it's not some some dull, dry, dusty, archaic, um, insignificant, unapplicable practice. Yeah. It's supposed to be mm-hmm. personal. Yep. And it's supposed mm-hmm. to to lead to a dialogue really about our relationship to God. Yeah. Well, like Phil said earlier, uh, it's countercultural. Uh, catechism is not only countercultural, it's actually the most culturally engaging thing that you can do because you're hiding doctrine in your, lot, in your heart that you're able to give different answers to that the culture is not giving. Now, William Farley wrote an article several years ago called The Self-Irrigating Christian. The self-irrigating Christian. And he encountered a foreman on a vineyard in California on a road trip, and he started asking questions about those vines that he found there. And the, the foreman said, well, there's this, there's this one root called a taproot. The taproot is that main root that goes down 30 to 40 feet into the soil, and some of them even reach the subsurface water table. Now, when that happens, the vine becomes self-irrigating. It can, withstand, it can withstand droughts for longer seasons than those vines who have no taproot. Now, here's the point. That's what catechesis does. That's what catechism does is it forms a taproot in the Christian's heart. Monica and I, we discovered the shorter catechism here a few years ago, and the way that this became a taproot in our hearts is that our, our middle son, Justice, has autism. And in those early years, it was so difficult because he didn't know how to express himself. We didn't know how to read him. We didn't understand how to parent him. And we we were so frustrated in those early years. And the Shorter Catechism, question number 11, asked the question, what are God's works of providence? And whenever Monica and I would get frustrated, we would look at each other and we would ask that question to each other, honey, what are God's works of providence? And we would answer, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, governing all his creatures and all their actions. And it gave us hope in those times. That's how catechism works. B.B. Um, Warfield um, has written just some profound theological works and some of them on um, just in these theological truths. And he writes some um, profound words on providence and especially tying into Romans 8. Um, but what people don't know is that B.B. Warfield on his honeymoon, his wife um, ended up with a significant illness, and B.B. Warfield um, hardly left her side for the rest of their married life. And he taught at the seminary, but that was basically all the time he left. And then he was back by his, his wife's side um, caring for her. Hmm. So what you know is that when B.B. Warfield wrote on God's providence, he understood it in a real and substantial way, but it's because his taproot was so deep yeah. into the doctrine of God that he could write these comforting words because he had experienced that comfort from the truths that he learned as a small child. Yeah. He right. would have learned these, these question and answers on, on providence. Mm-hmm. What be- was theory at one point became reality. Yeah, and that that kind of taproot 
to keep using that image. It's a powerful image. That that doesn't develop quickly. Uh, that as you're as you're saying that Warfield had been trained in that since he was a boy, and that's why it sustained him uh, when when the real pressure was on in life. Um, and but wherever you are, uh, and I would just say to the listeners, uh, you can only begin where you are. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. You, you can't uh, go back in time and, and, and catch up lost time, but, but begin where you are. Yeah. And uh, if you miss this opportunity with your own kids, invest in your grandkids. Yeah, right. right. I, mean, yes. I, I mentioned my grandkids before, but I, I can still remember that, uh, you know, that same little book, The Catechism for Young Children, was something that we were sharing with our children. My, uh, my, uh, my father uh, passed away, uh, and uh, his funeral was actually on my daughter's sixth birthday. And we're, we're at the, we're at, we've gone to the funeral, the, you, you observe the body there, and um, you know, she wanted to know what, she wanted to know more about that situation. And even as she asked it, but I saw a light bulb turn on in her, her mind because I, I started to say, well, his body is here, but he is, he's present with the Lord. And, and there was a question and answer there. You know, the, the question 18 was, what did God give Adam and Eve besides bodies? He gave them souls that could never die. Mm. And, and, then she, and so when, when I'm telling her that the body's there, but he's present with the Lord, she says, oh, yeah. Because he has a soul that can never die. Ah, oh, that's precious. Yep. Amen. <laughs> that's precious. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. Uh, we hope that you will in- invest in um, catechism training. If you don't know anything about it, you're more than welcome to email us, info at reformationboise.com. Uh, you can find any of these catechisms that we've been talking about, whether it's the Shorter Catechism, Heidelberg Catechism, New City Catechism, in your app store. Um, so give us... Give us an email. We hope to see you at the conference, reformationboise.com. This has been the Gospel for Life. 